I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trainer. Thanks so much for listening. This week's show is going to be a little bit different than we uh, sort of provide for you each week. We, we, we focus here on media, and um, I wanted to have on my colleague here at SI.com, Michael McCann, who covers all of the legal issues for SI.com. He is our legal analyst, and he does a phenomenal job. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at McCann Sports Law. With so many weird stories dominating the sports news cycle right now, the NBA, China, Hong Kong situation, Tyler Skaggs, wild story from over the weekend, you know, Antonio Brown suing the Patriots, and uh, there's a couple of lighthearted things. Mike Leach has banned his players from tweeting at Washington State. Purdue has banned anyone associated with the university from betting on Purdue sports. So there's a lot of weird, uh, serious and weird legal stories going on right now and i wanted to get mike's take on it and we uh sort of cover everything from the serious to the lighthearted. hopefully you guys enjoy it i think you will it's very interesting and mike does a great job with this so check this out and uh, if you're not a subscriber please hit the subscribe button please check out all of the past podcasts in the archives and uh let's get right now to si.com legal analyst mike mccann all right joining me now si legal expert he is uh a must-read on all of the law things that go on. He is Michael McCann. Michael, how are you? I'm doing great, Jimmy. And yourself? I am well, and uh, I wanted to have you on because there's a seems like the biggest stories in sports right now, besides NFL refs, which we can discuss, um, is the situation with the NBA in China and um, Tyler Skaggs of the Angels. And I know you've written about both, so I wanted to get into those. Um, let's start with the NBA and China and LeBron and um, Daryl Morey. 
from a legal standpoint, what what position is the NBA in in terms of if China, you know, they've they already I guess have done some things there, uh, not airing Rockets games, uh, I guess is what one of the things they're going to do because of the tweet. From a legal standpoint, is this something that could end up with the NBA battling? China, I wouldn't even know who they battle, but from a legal standpoint, if China wants to uh, not air NBA games, not do business with the NBA, can that happen? Yeah, so so the relationship is contractual between the NBA and different companies in China that are in the technology and media broadcasting space. They're all either state-owned or state-controlled, and as a result, China you know, broadly speaking, could decide to sever those contracts. They could say that the NBA has violated the terms of the agreements. Obviously, we haven't seen the contracts, so there's some speculation involved. But presumably, those, those contracts contain language that says in so many words, if the NBA or China engages in behavior that is objectionable, the other side is able to exit the contract. And then there could be a legal fight over whether or not what has happened warrants the exit of those contracts or the voiding of those contracts. And that's, it gets more complicated because the question would then be, where is it litigated? Would it go to arbitration? If it's a U.S. court decision, does it get enforced in China or vice versa? It could become really messy really fast for the NBA. And hypothetically speaking, uh, let's say China wanted to back out of a contract and the NBA loses millions or billions. Does the NBA, can they legally do go after Maury for the tweet that started all this? I guess they could, but I think at this point they've sort of waived that right, you could argue, because we know that Commissioner Silver has already said publicly that he supported Daryl Morey's right to express a political viewpoint. Also, the viewpoint that he expressed was pro-democracy. It would seem uh, a curious interpretation of rules if somebody makes a pro-democracy statement and that leads to punishment from the NBA. Again, technically, the NBA has discretion to punish executives when they make statements that interfere with the league's business relations. But I think if the league was going to go down that path, they would have done it earlier. And I think it's too late now to do that, if they even wanted to contemplate that. And obviously now the story takes this other twist uh, because of LeBron James's surreal comments. Uh, I don't even know if there's a legal angle to that. Uh, it's, I guess this is more of a PR thing, but how LeBron had a week or 10 days to come out with something and then came out with that is, is pretty amazing. I, I guess from a legal standpoint, he should sue his PR people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, why he would make such a statement that you know, even if it's his honest view, sometimes your honest view isn't one that you should publicly air. And it puts him, I think the damage to his brand is pretty considerable. I, I don't you know, I don't think that he's going to walk back from this too quickly. Obviously, he's LeBron James and the greatest player since Michael Jordan. I mean, he still has a bio that's impressive. And, and to, in his defense, he's done all sorts of charity things. He's been an advocate for certain legal reform, including in California, with the Fair Pay to Play Act. So he's done some things that are pretty popular. But 
to to make a st- statement that is sort of demeaning of Daryl Morey, Daryl Morey to say that he was uneducated. I mean, that, that's a pretty low blow. Uh, also untrue. I mean, Daryl Morey is a is a graduate of Northwestern and MIT. I think he's knowledgeable enough to weigh in. I mean, whether people like the fact that he weighed in is a separate issue, but the idea that he's somehow not educated uh, strikes me as not true and, and really unfair. And, and actually said that about Maury while, while saying he didn't want to get into a war of words, which really right. one of the most botched statements you can ever see in sports. I do wonder, uh, part of me does wonder if this is... Um, more of a Twitter thing than a real life, real world thing. Obviously, what he said is going to get coverage outside of Twitter. I, I'm not saying that, but I do think on opening night, when he has 28 points, 10 rebounds, eight assists, I'm not sure if this is going to be like the lasting thing that people think about. I think it, in the real world, it might get forgotten about quicker than, of course, um, on Twitter. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, and I think opposing fans, if they're going to take shots at him, that they can, they'll just go after him as they've always done. I don't know if uh, I mean people could mock him. Obviously, we've seen memes with him, uh, photos, uh, you know, with his image in them that are that are mocking him for his comments. So maybe we'll see those continuously in terms of people going after him. But I agree with you that once the NBA season starts, and I'm sure the NBA can't wait. For the season to start, and for this uh, trip to Asia to end, and and for the league's attention to return to games, because this this couldn't have been a worse stretch for the league, uh, certainly in recent years, and I can't recall another one. Another league that has some major major issues going on right now is Major League Baseball because of the Tyler Skaggs story that came out over the weekend, which I thought was just beyond stunning. Um, ESPN did an in-depth piece where uh, allegedly it was the Angels PR person who was supplying Skaggs with opiates opiates and, and doing them with him. Um, how much trouble, break if you can break it down, how much trouble are the Angels in and then how much trouble is Major League Baseball in? Yeah, so, I mean, like you said, Jimmy, just terrific reporting by ESPN and TJ Quinn to, to uncover this, and it was jaw-dropping to think that the director of communications, a person named Eric Kay, was allegedly providing oxy and, and, like you said, doing drugs with Skaggs, and that this was going on for two years. The, the, the legal issues are are essentially, there's the criminal side where law enforcement and the DEA are going to look into how Skaggs got drugs because he had no legal right to use a painkiller without a prescription. Somebody gave them to him. It appears, based on what we've read, that Kay was at least one of the individuals giving him a substance without a lawful prescription. So Kay himself could, in theory, be charged with the crime for drug distribution, although I don't think he's probably the main target for the government. I think they want to find out where he's getting it from. Was it from a healthcare professional who sold it on the side? Was it a, a more traditional drug dealer, cartel type person? I mean, we, we don't know. There are all sorts of possibilities. Uh, in addition, Skaggs had fentanyl in his system. And at least based on what we've read, Kate doesn't express that he had any role in that. So it looks like Skaggs was getting drugs from different sources. So the criminal side is 
figure out who gave him those drugs and maybe charge those people with drug distribution. In terms of the Angels and uh, Major League Baseball, the, the legal liability would most likely be civil, and the argument would be a wrongful death lawsuit by Skaggs' family arguing that the Angels should have known more. Maybe they did know more. We know from the ESPN story that Kay claims that he told two Los Angeles executives about Skaggs' drug problem, and from what he claims they did nothing, essentially, and that five other players are using them that have been on the Angels. So the argument would be that the Angels had a duty to protect, that they had a duty to monitor, and that their failure to to provide that contributed to Skaggs having a drug overdose. Because if he had been monitored, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Now, there are a lot of layers to that. For one, alcohol was part of the reason why he died. Obviously, he can get that lawfully. And then secondly, there's just the notion of how, how much of a role would the Angels have had. But if, if an Angels employee was doing drugs for two years with a player, I'm sure if I'm a lawyer, I'm going to ask the jury, how do the how does the general manager, how does the president of operations, how does the HR people, how do they not know this? Mm-hmm. I mean, how how common is it that a PR person hangs out with one individual player all the time? I mean, I, maybe that happens. I don't know. That that strikes me as weird. And if it strikes me as weird, it probably struck the angels as unusual. These are all really hard questions. Yeah. I and I and I don't think it's going to be hard for. A lawyer to sort of prove out that um, this was more common than we think. I I spoke to someone who would know, um, who would definitely know, and this was not a secret among the angels. Mm. And um, they also said that um, you know this didn't start with Skaggs. So there's obviously something going on there with the angels, and it you know I don't know. The weird thing about this is I've had NFL and baseball players over the years tell me like that drug testing in both of those sports is such a joke. I mean, in the NFL, the players sort of know. I mean, they get the um, the surprise P tests, I guess, for steroids and stuff. But that's but in terms of the off season and um, you know stuff like weed or cocaine, like they sort of get a heads up when they're going to be tested. It's very the drug. I think fans think. The drug testing is stringent because of PDs, but in terms of like recreational drugs, from what I'm told, there's not really tough drug testing in sports. I don't know if you could shed any light on that. Yeah, and, and with this particular issue, uh, baseball doesn't test for opiates. Now, they that's because the union didn't allow it, so baseball could argue, well, and this is going to be baseball's defense, is that every rule we have for drug testing is a function of collective bargaining. And... We deserve as much blame as the union, but maybe the union deserves more because they tend to push back against stringent drug testing. Now, here, there's no uh, random drug testing of opiates, but if there's, re- if there's cause, if baseball has notice, they can issue a drug test for a particular person. So baseball can still get in trouble here because if the Angels knew, and it sounds like they did, at least to some degree, about what was going on, they didn't share it with baseball, and that would have provided cause, and maybe it would have led to Skaggs living, right? If he had been right. tested and he tested positive. I mean, who knows? There are a lot of what-ifs, but yeah. baseball can still get in trouble. But baseball can at least argue that this weak drug testing is a function of collective bargaining rather than something that the commissioner's office imposes. 
Interesting. And it also just makes you wonder how prevalent this is throughout baseball because, again, there's no testing for it. And, um, you know, you have players that are on the road all the time, long, grueling season, a lot of time to get in trouble. Um, you know, I, I think the, the theory that today's athlete just, you know, goes back to their hotel room and plays video games or watches Netflix is, you know, a nice thing to put out there, but probably not completely true. Yeah, and, and it's a great point because we just saw ESPN did a story on sleep deprivation, right, yeah. among NBA players and all the travel that they have, and it wears people out, like you said. And we know that Americans in general use these things. So this right. is not uh, unique to sports. We know that there's a real opiate problem in this country. Uh, it's real, and I, I live up in New England, uh, northern Massachusetts. I go into New Hampshire a lot for work. I mean, that's a big topic up here in terms of drugs going from mass into New Hampshire, particularly opioids. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a real issue. So, you know, if it's happening generally, it does. it's not a surprise that it's happening in sports, too. Hey, that's true. That's a really good point. Um, there, is there any chance at all these other names, I think they said four or five other Angels players were sort of in on this, um, is there any chance those names don't come out? I assume they come out in, in court or even before then when there's sort of testimony and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I assume they're going to come. I mean, the government knows who they are, so they're going to be proud of part of whatever criminal prosecutions go down against the people who provided these drugs. I assume they're going to get, we're going to figure out who they are, and they'll be charged, and there'll be civil litigation where those names could come up. So, hmm. uh, it also just could leak. I mean, we already, I mean, it's clear that information is leaking to begin with, uh, so I, I would be surprised if we don't find out. It, this story is so far from over. I'm I'm fascinated by it. I think there's going to be a lot of twists and turns in in, in this story. So um, I know you'll keep everyone who reads SI.com posted on it. Let's uh, switch gears. Let's do something a little less uh, serious, I guess. Um, well, let me start with this since it was a big story for a while, and it's not really in the news now, but it is interesting. Antonio Brown filed a grievance against the Patriots. He wants to get paid for his couple of weeks of work there. Is there any chance he can win that grievance? Yeah, he has a decent argument, and I say that because the, the NFL CBA limits the circumstances in which you can forfeit guaranteed money. And he could argue that none of them apply here. And the other thing he can argue is that most of that guaranteed money is in the form of a signing bonus. So he can argue that he earned it upon signing. Mm -hmm. Now, the Patriots are going to say no. We staggered the payments out. They were staggered into two different times, neither of which he was still around to get because he had been cut by that point. So he's going to argue that that uh, the Patriots maybe cut him to try to avoid paying him. And also he's going to argue that he shouldn't have been cut so abruptly. I think he was practicing on a Friday, and he's cut that afternoon. This was after the sports Robert Klemko Sports Illustrated expose ran. So it isn't as if he was practicing uh, – yeah, the story ran, and then they still had him practice. So he could argue, well, if it was such a huge story, why, you know, why did you have me practice that morning? Right. And that the Patriots, they didn't take any disciplinary steps, right? They didn't, you know, normally with discipline, it begins with a warning, then a fine, then a suspension. They immediately jumped to cutting him. And I'm just thinking what he's going to argue. I'm not, you know, I'm not defending him, but I just think he actually has an argument under his contract in the CBA that he's owed that money despite everything that we know. Well, but does the fact that he 
I would assume, and maybe the assuming is wrong here, but I would assume the Patriots, you know, wanted to confirm that he had sent those texts, which is what ended up getting him cut. Does sending those texts, I'm sure the Patriots have proof or got proof somehow, all you have to do is check the phone records. Would that cause him in any way to lose the grievance or not be able to get the grievance since I mean, is that some sort of, I would assume him sending those threatening texts I mean maybe it's not a contract violation it's more of a Bill Belichick you know don't do anything wrong violation maybe it's not in the contract that he has but how much would that hurt him yeah it could be I mean, probably a team viola- a violation of team rules though his lawyer is going to argue Bill Belichick has this happened before and did you immediately cut that player uh, have, there, have other players sent inappropriate messages, and did you just simply bench the player for a quarter, or did you, you know, were, were there less dramatic punishments for the player than here? And even if even if him being cut was was lawful, and, and it was because a team can cut a player, the guaranteed of the signing bonus may have already take may have already kicked in right. because right, and, and and he could also argue some of these allegations. You know, we're, we're on Twitter. Uh, the, 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 at least the claim that he had committed some type of uh, sexual impropriety, uh, that was already on Twitter. Now, again, it's Twitter and, and who knows, but right. he's going to argue the Patriots didn't do their due diligence, that they rushed to sign what? him, right? That yeah. they wanted to sign him before he signed with the Seahawks or the Chiefs or whatever, and that they took a risk by doing that. Uh, and he would be right about that because, like, I read those allegations about, you know, a possible sexual assault days before it came out. Um, so I don't know what the Patriots were doing there. But again, you like you said, it's Twitter. So how do you take it seriously? But the, the stories were definitely out there long before they became public. Um, yeah, I mean, they, you know what? They took a risk. They signed yeah. them. They probably shouldn't have put all that money in a signing bonus. They probably should have. I and mean, it's easy for me to say in hindsight, but they probably should have used... It, a roster bonus, you know, if he's there on November 1, he gets X. If he's there on December 1, he gets X. They structured a contract in which they gave him a pretty big guarantee upon him joining the franchise, and it's, I think, hard to walk back from that, even despite all the stuff that happened later. And, and, you know, we say a lot of stuff happened. He still hasn't been charged with a crime. Uh, he has not been found civilly liable, as far as we know, from any court. That doesn't mean he's innocent. It doesn't mean he has... Pri- obviously, he's got issues, but... You know, it's interesting that he's become a real villain, but an attorney would look at it and say, "Yeah, I mean, he he's clearly he, he clearly does he acts inappropriately and maybe unlawfully, but there isn't that kind of criminal track record or anything like that that would put him up with some players that I think he's now being linked to." I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here 
both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. What, um... I, I, and I guess the Patriots. Well, uh, let's move on. That's enough about Antonio Brown. I, we've, <laughs> we've covered. I don't want to get because um, I, I there's a couple of lighthearted ones I, I want to get into with you um, about the Purdue banning betting for yeah. the, for everyone. Oh, well, let me ask you this because we're taping this on uh, Wednesday, uh, Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, and the XFL draft is going on. And I'm just curious. With the XFL draft going on, uh, it sort of feels like the AFL, was that what it's called? The Alliance uh, was the one that went under recently. Oh, AAF. AAF. Yeah. Um, they went under, and there were horrific stories about the way those players got treated in terms of pay and uh, getting stuck on the road in hotels and not being able to pay for it and not getting when it went under. Are there any lawsuits from that stemming? What any ramifications for the, the folding of that league during in the middle of their season? Yeah, there are lawsuits stemming from there's bankruptcy and there's some consumer uh, fraud issues in California. So I mean, what I'm not sure is if there's any money. I think that's going to be a real issue is any kind of litigation stemming from that you can you, you know you can win a lawsuit, but the other side may not have any money to pay you, and uh, it can be a, a deflating feeling where you can be awarded a lot of money, but you're never going to actually collect. And I'm not sure what there's left with the AAF. It really depends on how the people who invested structured their investment. Did they protect themselves from personal liability? We know that there are some wealthy people who were part of it, but I, the extent of their personal liability, it, it, we'll have to wait and see. But Let's hope, for its sake, the XFL has a lot more success. Well, I it, think they have more more stable leadership, and uh, Oliver Luck is certainly a seasoned pro, so that's probably a good sign. But here's what's interesting about what you just said. Let's say, hypothetically, the XFL goes under, which, again, like you said, Oliver Luck is there running it, and they, they, they're going to air games on Fox and ESPN, so they're going to get a little bit of a boost by that. I'm sure ESPN will... Um, try to make it like it's a real thing since it's on their network. But let's say things don't work out and that league goes under for whatever reason and sort of um, replicates what happened with the AAF. You said with the AAF, there's real, there's no money really to go after for people suing. But the XFL, everyone knows Vince McMahon is a billionaire. Would it fall on him if people, or is that, or there is there a legal wording in contracts where it wouldn't fall on him personally? Yeah, probably it probably wouldn't. He'd probably form an LLC right. 
to separate himself from the entity itself so that he's not personally liable. Now, there, there are all exceptions and complications to it, but the gist of it is you can form an entity to, to basically say, if this goes down, I'm not going down with it. It's amazing how people can get out of everything. A little, <laughs> little wording here and there. If I get if I park illegally, though, I got to pay eighty dollars for a ticket. It's right, pretty wild. Um, I love this Purdue story. So Purdue basically has banned everyone associated with the university, staff, students, teachers, uh, from betting Purdue games, or is it any games, or is it just Purdue games? I think it's just Purdue games. Yeah, Purdue games. Yeah. And also Purdue, you know, a tennis match involving a Purdue player. So it could be on just the, you know, it could, it could include individual sports. Right. Too. So one, is this legal? And two, how do you enforce this? Yeah, so there there are a lot of issues here. I mean, just the enforcement itself, I don't know how it's enforced because how how will Purdue monitor everyone on its campus, including people off campus who are associated with the school, be they professors, staff, students, how are they, how, how do, no university has the capacity to monitor people's online activities, even if they tried, because people will just use their wireless server or they'll use their home server, you know, the home, the home network. I mean, there are all sorts of ways around it. It's just not really practical. And also casinos aren't going to cooperate. They're not going to give up customer records to any school about who's betting. I mean, that, that's just, they have no incentive to do it and they have every incentive not to, and they're not obligated to. And nor is the state going to sort of crack down on what's happening at Purdue. That's that's beyond the scope of the state government. It's not in their interest to do that. So I think just the practicality of it is really suspect. And then the legal side, it's a public university. You can't go out and interfere with people's speech. So there's a potential argument that it could violate speech issues. Uh, but... You know, I, I don't even know if the legal side is as important as just the practicality or the lack of practicality of it. So so if I tweet about a, a bet that I've made and someone responds by telling me betting is illegal, I can say you're messing with my free speech issues? Well, you, your employer is <laughs> private, right? So if you were a public university, if you were a public, if we work for a public entity, right. we would have certain rights that, that we don't have. Gotcha, gotcha. And wait, did they say what? So let's say they find out a professor bet a Purdue football game is, and they does the man or woman get fired for that? Did they say what the punishment is? No, uh. they just said it's not clear. Now but, that that would be a hell of a lawsuit if they bust someone for placing a wager, and they try to fire that person. You know that person's suing. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, because it, it's legal on, under state law. It's now legal. I have to be twenty one in Indiana, and. That person, unless there's some, unless they, they they put in faculty or staff rules that contemplate it, but that gets complicated. So yeah, it's I don't know why they're doing it. It it's I, I get that they want to be opposed to sports betting, but I, I think sometimes you have to kind of let the world around you and take place and, and join it rather than try to oppose it. And speaking of college football um, and and banning things. Uh, Washington State coach Mike Leach came out that he has banned his players from using social media. Is that legal? So, it's unclear, I think is a short answer. The, the Universities have a, have a decent amount of discretion in regulating student conduct, and if, if student conduct 
is disruptive, the university has a right to regulate it in general. It gets tricky with the public university aspect and, and other components. So, it, and some coaches have cracked down on student speech, and they've done so with some success. So it would depend on whether or not somebody could argue that you know, a player could say, what I want to tweet is something that's not disruptive, but is part of my freedom of expression. I want to tweet in support of some political candidate because I think he or she is the right person for the country. It's a supportive note. Why should that, why should that be banned? And that could be a tough question if, if it were to ever happen. That would be an interesting one for sure, especially with Mike Leach. <laughs> um, we're going to end this on something totally silly, but it is something that is dominating the sports cycle sort of right now. I fully expect at some point today or tomorrow or next week we're going to hear about like some Lions fans suing the NFL because of the refs. We saw this obviously last season with the Saints and the Vikings. Is there ever a scenario where you can ever see fans suing referees and winning? I could see it happening because we see every lawsuit, right? I mean, we saw Roger Goodell suit over the NFC Championship game and the bad no call, but. I don't think it could work. The reality is that when you go to a game, the legal right that you get is really limited. It's the right to sit in a particular seat and watch two teams play. As long as that happens, the right has been met. Even if there are bad calls, and of course we know that there are bad calls, that's sort of part of the sport. The unpredictability of officiating is, I think, adds to the drama in some way. I mean, it's why we don't want robots calling balls and strikes. At least most people don't want robots calling balls and strikes in baseball games because the variability, the unpredictability adds some drama that isn't there. So I I don't see any legal right. I don't think we have a legal right to good officiating and any kind of claim along those lines I think would be dismissed. I'm curious about you uh, a little bit in all this. So you you cover all all of the legal stuff for SI.com. And like I said, I mean, you wrote a tremendous piece over the weekend on Tyler Skaggs. And then you've also written a piece on the, you know, the nonsense with Purdue and banning the betting. Do you like doing those sort of offbeat, weird stories like the Purdue one? Um, You know, is it good to have a mix with that as well as, you know, when you get to something serious like, you know, the NBA in China and Tyler Skaggs or, you know, you're not really into these frivolous lawsuits, or do you get a chuckle out of them sometimes? And it's I, fun I love them because oh, okay. a, it's a change of pace, right? It's it's not serious. It's not. You know, I remember the Aaron Hernandez covering the Aaron Hernandez murder trial. I mean that that really gets to you, right? You go to court, and it's just it's so serious and it's morbid. Um, to to have something that's light, like banning a university trying to. Uh, pretend that we're in 1998 with the internet and that it can control things when in fact we're 21 years later. I mean, it is fun because it also, I mean, A, it's fun because it reaches new readers. Yeah. I think they're right. I mean, there are all sorts of people that won't read a piece on uh, somebody dying or a murder or a sexual assault claim, but they will read a piece on something a little bit lighter. Right. So I think it, it brings in new readers and it also involves different areas of the law, which is interesting. It's it, it's interesting to write about criminal and uh, civil litigation, but it's also neat to write about things that maybe don't go to court, but could become potential legal issues or, or are relatively lighthearted. And the lawsuit against Roger Goodell, 
by Saints fans. I mean, that was fun to write about just because I knew it was ridiculous. <laughs> and it's also a way of showing readers why it's ridiculous, right? Taking mm-hmm. a lawsuit and explaining, here is why this doesn't add up. And it's a way of teaching the law, too, on some level. Well, sport, I've always I've always maintained, I, I write about this all the time, that sports fans are not sane people. I include myself <laughs> in that. So so it is, I mean, some of the lawsuits you get in the sports world are pretty comical. Uh, do you have like a favorite offbeat weird one that you've seen that you still can't believe happened? Well, I mean, just the, the, same, the, 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 the call, any of the lawsuits over bad calls, I, I always find uh, difficult to take. Uh, not uh, not in the sense that I don't like them, but I mean they're interesting to write about. But they are they're also kind of just these things that if I saw on a law school exam, I would I would cross out right. Like this is not how we should be using the law, and it kind of makes a mockery of the law too, right? Because people think lawyers are just out there filing lawsuits left and right. So I would have to say those kinds of cases are probably the ones that I just scratch my head and say, you know, how does a lawyer spend what might be many, many hours writing a complaint <laughs> about a call when he or she is really just, you know, they could be using that time doing anything else and right. they're going to look bad doing it. I saw one last week, and I think we've seen this one crop up a bunch of times where someone, uh, a fan is suing a team because they got injured with the T-shirt shot out of the cannon into the yeah. stands. That's always a popular one. Well, you know, the, the, I mean, so in fairness, those at least have s- some merit to them, right? I mean, you go to these games, <laughs> and you don't necessarily want to sign up to have a T-shirt propelled at you, right? I mean, this is not – and if and if people – it's I've always find it interesting that people kind of, like, push each other and shove each other to try to get a T-shirt worth, like, five bucks. Right. And – there could be injuries with that. I mean, it sounds a little little crazy, but at least with that, where there's a projectile where somebody could get hurt. I mean, there was a there was a guy who went to a Kansas City Royals game, and Slugger, the mascot, launched a projectile, hit him in the eye, and he had had to have retina surgery. I mean, he suffered a real injury. Right. So I, I think those at least have some merit because somebody suffers an injury, and you got to wonder why are teams even doing this stuff? I mean, why? Why do you go to an NBA game or a Major League Baseball game and they need to resort to those things to keep your attention? Right. I understand why it happens in minor league sports, but I don't know, maybe I'm old school, but I remember uh, NBA games in the 80s. That never happened. You never saw things flying. At least I don't remember that. Yeah. At, uh, it's you know, Baseball games are, I mean, they don't, in between innings, they don't let you get one chance to sort of, you know, speak to whoever you're with or there's always something going on. It, it's It's overwhelming and I don't, When I see people literally risk limbs to get a T-shirt that's shot into the crowd, I don't get that either. I mean, I get what you're saying where you blame the team, but my God, what you see see people do to get a T-shirt or a a ball, it's a little disturbing as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's a T-shirt. It's it's not going to change your life. Who who wants the T-shirt? You know, it's it's probably worth nothing. And, (laughs) right? And, like, they're shoving kids to get to it. I mean, like... What kind of message does that mean? You know, we criticize athletes for not being role models. What about the people in the stands, yeah. right? Like behaving like that. It, it's. Uh, I, I'm actually surprised you don't see more lawsuits come out of sporting events. Just in terms of, I think fan behavior is like at an all-time low. Um, 
you know, people just behave like animals at sporting events. Now it's, it's, if you just want to go watch a game, you got to deal with people who are all around you, drunk, cursing, screaming, doing even worse. Uh, I'm actually surprised there's not more, uh, lawsuits that come out of sporting events these days. Yeah. I mean, maybe it means not enough people are hurt, thankfully. Yeah. But you got to wonder, you know, with social media, everyone's sort of having a, a channel to, to kind of vent if it, if it puts them in a state of mind that makes them more aggressive when they go to games. I mean, I have no idea it's beyond my knowledge, but yeah. I'm sure somebody out there could do a study on that. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. You can uh, follow him at, on Twitter at McCann Sports Law, M-C-C-A-N-N, at McCann Sports Lawyer. Michael McCann is our legal expert here at SI.com, does a phenomenal job, always right on top of uh, everything that happens in terms of the legal world and does a great job. So make sure you follow him and read his stuff. And uh, appreciate you coming on, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon, Jimmy. Take care. All right, my thanks to my colleague, Michael McCann. I enjoyed that. Hopefully you guys did too. Went sort of into a bunch of different topics and uh, it's a weird sports cycle that's going on right now with the uh, NBA China story and Tyler Skagg. So I thought Mike would be a good guest. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you right back here next week on the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. Take care. Storm and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.